Shumrabyug. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Sure Look, Sure Listen, the podcast that takes a pop at culture. Sure Look, Sure Listen. 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 A very good Benjamin. Here we are. It's a Sunday afternoon as usual and I've been sitting here waiting for you for 35 minutes, you absolute bastard. But your look, Benjamin, (laughs) that is fine because we've got a lot to cover this week, including but not limited to Uncharted, Ben. Someone's made a fan film of the series Uncharted. You've put down here Inside Job. I've never heard of it, so you're going to give us a a little taste of what that is. Benjamin also... There was a new trailer for a Cowboy Bebop, which neither of us have ever heard of. And, Ben, I'm getting excited about The Eternals. Never mind all that, though, because there are three films for us to take a look at this week, including Night Teeth, which is a very hard one for an Irish person to say, um, Halloween Kills, or Does It?, and June, or as you say, June. Sure, listen, Michael, if that wasn't enough for you... We're also going to be... It is. <laughs> actually, Honestly, is. We're actually probably is. We're chock-a-block today. But it's our final episode in our Spooktober special month uh, this week, Michael, Ooh. because next Sunday will be October 31st. It'll be Halloween, so we can't do Halloween-related content on Halloween, Michael, because we release on a Monday. That's when we start filming our Christmas episodes. <laughs> yeah, then we're having a Christmas spectacular, a Yuletide podcasting season. But should listen, Michael, to finish our Spooktober, we're going to be taking a look at which witch is which, uh, the changing description of the witch over time in media and how it's gone from a very, very bad thing to a very, very good thing. Or, or has is it? it or has it? Yes, very good. You beat me to it. Excellent, Michael. So go on, jump us in there, Michael. We've loads to get through. <laughs> We've got lots to get through, Ben. We're going to have to keep it tight. We're going to have to keep it tight and banterless this week. So expect <laughs> a BuzzFeed level of crack. Benjamin. Yeah. There's a new trailer for Uncharted, Ben. I've never played a single Uncharted game, so I'm going to ask you the most important question. In the games, Ben, the Uncharted games, which I'm going to go ahead and assume you're a huge fan of, is Nathan Drake a tiny little British fellow? No, he's not. He's a he's a rather strapping American fellow. Right, right, right. Benjamin. Yes. Would it be fair to say that Marky Mark, Marky Mark Wahlberg, former racist Marky Mark Wahlberg, um, would it be safe to say that he looks a lot more like Nathan Drake than the tiny little British fellow Tom Holland? That's what I originally thought was happening. I thought Tom Holland was some kind of Gal Friday character who was going to help actual Nathan Drake do his biz. Hmm. Yeah. Hey, hey, you, tiny little British man, help me. Help me over here. Well, you know, I don't think I'm going to be able to help you because I'm actually quite little. <laughs> Precisely. I think, I think that's how the film's going to go. I have the map. You've got big, muscly arms. Let's go and find the treasure together. Oh, I've fallen out of an airplane. Oh, bugger me. So that's one of the that's one of the most entertaining things to me, Michael, is Nathan Drake is supposed to be a bit of a brawler. Do you know what I mean? He's supposed to be able to hold mm, his own mm. in, a, in a bout of fisticuffs. And I just... Anyone that Tom Holland stands next to in that trailer towers over him. Very strange, Ben. It's like casting Rene Zellweger as Lara Croft. <laughs> it just doesn't work, Michael. What are you doing? She's the wrong age. She's the wrong size. She's the wrong look. 
What's, uh, what are you doing? Benjamin, yes. luckily I have no connection to the Uncharted franchise, so this hasn't upset me in the slightest. Are Uncharted fans, Ben, I know you're a Charted member of the Uncharted fan club, are you and your people okay with this? Are you excited about it? My people, my brave, brave, stoic people. Uh, no, Michael, the reaction has been, of course, naturally, why didn't they just get Nathan Fillion to do this? Um, he's too old, Ben. He's too old, Michael. But originally, Michael, Nathan Fillion was in a fan film on YouTube of Uncharted and people lost their minds over that. So unfortunately, I think the Uncharted movie's happening a couple of years too late where where that kind of fervor for the Nathan Fillion fan film, oh that was hard to say, is is you know, people are comparing it to that and they're like, "Oh, it's it's not that." But in terms of quality, Michael, they're about the same. I think it looks quite good. I think it looks like it's going to be a good if generic action film. I tell you what, Michael, if they release it alongside Indiana Jones 5, we'll go and see it in a double matinee, Michael, uh, and we'll, we'll, we'll enjoy that. That'll be good. Yeah. 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 It looks like a punching and kicking and finding a lost treasure film. What? Like um, Pirates of the Caribbean and Pirates of the Caribbean in the Amazon, whatever that was called. It, and, you know. <laughs> Jungle Cruise. The, the Mummy. They could have got Brendan Fraser, but he's also too old. Benjamin, we're all too old now. I can't play Nathan Drake anymore. I'm too old. How old is Nathan Drake canonically? Uh, canonically, I haven't a clue, but he's, he looks to be somewhere in his early 30s. Hmm. <laughs> right. Well, Tom Holland's only like, what, 12? 15. 13 at this stage, I think. <laughs> Benjamin. I think he's like 23. <laughs> Yeah, he might even be older. He might be your age, but he's only a small little young British fellow. Benjamin, yes. I have to say, with the increasing clips that are coming out of the Eternals, I'm getting more and more excited about it. Where's this come from, Michael? This was not on our running order. How dare you besmirch the running I've, order? I've just slipped it in there. I've just slipped it in there. With the spontaneous I'll tell you what, though, I'm edition. More... I'll tell you what, Ben. Maybe it's buyer's remorse, because I've I've done something silly, and I've gone ahead and bought the entire action figure wave of the Eternals that's come out <laughs> pre the movie. You have. Of course, so yeah. I'm a couple of hundred euro invested Jesus. in this now, so whether it's good or not, Ben, I'm going to be saying it's good. Oh, oh dear, Michael. Oh, dear. But, Ben, all, all signs point to good. All signs point to good. Uh, all, ro- all roads, Michael, lead to Roman. And all things being well. Sure, it's it's directed by an Oscar winner, Michael. Chloe Zhao. Yeah, sometimes Oscar winners can make a muck of things, though, Ben, especially if it's a different genre. Remember, Ben, I don't know if you remember, but The Incredible Hulk, the first one, or was it just called The Hulk, was directed by Ang Lee. Oh, yeah, remember? He was a big deal once upon a time. Yeah, was that any use, Ben? No, it wasn't. It was fairly rubbish, Michael. It had a Nicholas Nolte in it. Yeah, it did, as a big, angry man. I think that's just Nicholas Nolte. It was you. The absorbing dad. Ben. Yes. Back on our running order. What is a Cowboy Bebop anyway? Michael, it's a very acclaimed Japanese anime series. Right. Okay. Yes. It's about a bunch of bounty hunters, Michael. It's about a bunch of bounty hunters. A pack of bounty hunters, if you will. Um, Three, to be precise. Uh, There's Spike, who is the titular cowboy of Cowboy Bebop. Is he? Yes, it's Spike, isn't it? No, I'm not wrong. I'm, yeah. I'm not wrong. Don't no, you? He, no, his name is Spike. His name is Spike. I just don't know if he is the titular Cowboy Bebop. Uh, no, it's just Cowboy. I think I think Cowboy Bebop is like an amalgam name, as in like... All right. As in like Western jazz, Cowboy Bebop, kind of, you know. <laughs> I'm not 100% sure. <laughs> All right. Well, that sounds a bit made up, but uh, look, our listeners will correct us if that's wrong. Yes, very good, uh, because I haven't seen it, Michael. I've never watched Cowboy Bebop. 
Um, I've not. I don't know a thing about it, Benjamin. But it's about a bunch of bounty hunters in space, Michael. There's a very cute corgi that they have. Very, very cute. And uh, those bounty hunters are um, a ragtag bunch of mercenaries brought together with a common goal. Um, and you have oh. your classic kind of femme fatale who's only in it for herself. Uh, you have your gruff, older gentleman who runs the ship. That's the guy with the big metal arm in the trailer. Um, and then you've got oh. your smooth operator. And that's Spike. Oh, and there's a sexy lady as well, I believe. Yes, that's the femme fatale, Michael, as I said. Oh, yeah, okay, sorry. I, I sometimes don't know the terminology. Benjamin, I know nothing about it, and I don't think it looks terribly good, but it was certainly one of the more interesting trailers I've seen in a while. Yeah, very creative. Very creative, Michael. That that uh, that little black bar. Such Such creativity. Yeah. Very creative trailer, Ben. Is the whole series going to be like that? I wouldn't imagine so, because that, I feel, would be hard to watch. That'd take hours, Michael. Decades to edit. Oh, my God. Imagine the editing, Ben. Imagine the editing. We don't even like editing this. No, we hate it. That's why the quality (laughs) is so middling. It's just like, that's good enough. Yeah, middling quality. uh, It should be on Netflix. Benjamin, look, I'll give one episode a watch, and if it catches my wickle, then I'll watch it. But to me, it looks very much like Killjoy's. It's three bounty hunters in space in a kind of future amalgam society going on. I, I think people are excited for for it from the Cowboy Bebop fandom, but I don't. It it doesn't. It it certainly doesn't float my boat, Michael. I certainly right. Am right. too invested in it. You, you of course would have preferred if the titular character of Spike Bebop was played by a tiny British man, Tom Holland. That's what I... You, you know, Michael, as president of the Irish wing of the Tom Holland fan club, that I just want Tom Holland yeah. to be in everything. Um, yeah, including you. We've re- Benjamin! <laughs> we've recently started a petition, Michael, to deep fake him into classic movies. Um, yeah, yeah, I've put him into Citizen Kane. Uh, I can't wait to see him in Casablanca. Um, yeah, playing, as Scarlett O'Hara. Yeah, playing both... Humphrey Bogart and Scarlett Um Yeah, so, you know, one day Tom Holland will rule the world and we'll all enjoy that. It'll be good. Yes. Benjamin. Yes. What is Inside the Job? So, Michael, you and I have a favourite series here on this podcast. It was one of the, the bonding moments for us in our earlier episodes, and that was Gravity Falls. Oh, I've remembered. I've seen it. It's about twins who are doing supernatural adventures. Yeah, and you and I were also fans of another animated show once upon a time called Rick and Morty, or Richard and Morty. Oh yeah, it's about a it's about a grandfather and his grandson, and they have supernatural adventures. Yeah, now Michael, what would happen? What would happen, right? If you got the creator of yes. Gravity Falls, one Alex Hirsch, yes, and you got a showrunner from Rick and Morty together who handled the animation. Oh, no. what do you think you get then, Michael? It could either be good or a disaster. It's pretty, it's pretty, pretty good, Michael. It's pretty, pretty good. Oh, good. Uh, Inside Job is the new animated series from Netflix. I've um, heard of Netflix. Um, basically, every single... The premise is very, very simple. Every single conspiracy theory that all the kind of QAnon people have and the, you know, the flat earthers and all this kind of thing, it's all true, Michael. Um, oh, and, and the d- even the ones that are inherently self-contradicting. In, indeed, yes. Um, the deep state is real in this particular thing, and it's the shadowy organization that's running the world. But of course, it's run by a bunch of bloody malcontents, Michael, and they're a big, big bunch of dopes. And that's where the Rick and Morty oh, style sounds- humor comes in. Mm, that sounds interesting. Yeah, so it has all the conspiracy of a Gravity Falls, all of the lore, all of the fun kind of mystery stuff. But then it has all the, all the charm and wit of a, an, an early Rick and Morty. I think it's important to stress that. 
an earlier. Well, the last series was pretty good, Ben. The, the, the last series was pretty good, Michael. But I say an earlier Rick and Morty because I believe the last series of Rick and Morty is one of the best it's ever had. Now, that's controversial. No, Michael. that's controversial, and I think it's going to take some time before Inside Job reaches that height. Mm. But it is very good. Um, Who are the main characters, Ben? Our main characters are uh, Reagan. Who is Ronald Reagan? Not Ronald Reagan, no. Um, it's um, Reagan, and she's played by Lizzie Kaplan. And she is the neurotic daughter of the former head of Cognito Inc., which is, um, which is the deep state, as it happens. Kind of modeled on a, a Google business model and made fun of in the exact same length and breadth. So... Uh, yeah, very interesting, Michael. Uh, she is the the head of operations at Cognito Inc. And she's she's built as a bit of a, a Rick, I suppose. She's a, a very unpleasant, antisocial genius. Hmm. But without less of the arrogance, she's a very insecure, antisocial genius. Ah, very clever. Yes, so it's a little bit of a it's, twist. It's, it's a new and interesting twist. Uh, then we have her father, um, the former Dr. Reagan, and he is played by Christian Slater, Michael. He's voiced by one Christian I, Slater. I like Christian Slater. He's like a poor man's um, Ultron. What's his name? James uh, Spader. James Spader. Yeah, and so in his case, Michael, he uh, that character is kind of like Rick if he genuinely didn't care about being the smartest man in the room despite being it. So... Mm. He's he's a, a kind of a how do I put this? He's, he's kind of a, Jerry. a bohemian uh, a bohemian party machine who was forced out of his company. Then there's Jr. who's the head of the shadowy elite organization. Jr. Rowling. Jr. Rowling, correct? Uh, no. Oh. Um, but in this particular case, Michael, we have him at the head of the company, um, and he's kind of the money and the middle, and he's a bit of a joke. He's kind of a classic. Republican parody, I suppose. If you were oh, you love those, media. Ben. Uh, yeah, yeah, he's probably one of the weaker characters, to be honest. Um, and then we get the squad. So one of the things that that happens to set this off is that um, Lizzie Kaplan's character thinks she's getting a promotion finally to the head of the, the head of the organization, and she's finally going to get to run the show, and she's very excited that. Um, and then Jr. goes over her head and hires a frat boy. Uh, to be her seconding, uh, her co kind of head of department, and it drives her absolutely mad, Michael. And shenanigans ensue, and there's all kinds of interesting things. We get to meet the man who shot JFK. Oh, very good. Yeah, his name is his name is literally um, Mr. Knoll, as in the grassy Knoll. Grassy um, Knoll, very good. Is he all grassy? Yeah, he's not actually, but he's he's an old man and he's very proud of killing people. Um, so it, it's kind of classic shenanigans, Michael. It's a very um, sci-fi happy um, thing. You know, you get to see a moon landing conspiracy. You get to see a JFK conspiracy. You get to see a hollow earth theory conspiracy. And all of those kind of conspiracies play out as... I suppose set pieces as opposed to actual plot moments and the the hilarity kind of ensues from the HR shenanigans that go on in a shadowy government, a shadowy government elite uh, organization. It's very good. Very interesting. Very enjoyable. Benjamin, I have I have a call coming in on my 24-hour emergency hotline, so I'm going to have to pause for a <laughs> oh, second no, and, and okay. get it. Um, I will pause All right. here as well. Benjamin. Yes. We talked about the film Night Teeth 
which as we discussed before was very hard for Irish people to say a couple of weeks ago and then instantaneously it left my mind and memory. Yes, Michael, that's a, that's a common error for you. I quite often leave your mind and memory until I get in touch with you to do a podcast and you're like, oh yeah. Who's this bloody guy, I say? Yeah, who's this guy? And you talk to your good lady friend and you say, do I know a Ben? Do I know a Ben? Have I ever... Have I ever met one? Benjamin, what is it? What's going on in it? What's Megan Fox up to? <laughs> so, Michael, in, in Night Teeth, mm. right? Uh, it's very, very simple, Michael. It's collateral meets uh, collateral meets all the dangerous vampire movies. Collateral meets Blade, Michael, might be the oh. best way to put it. And very simply put, Michael, the reason I say that is the visuals in this film. Mm, chef's kiss. No, 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 no. Um, Delicious. L.A. is given a very... Um, neon color palette it's very much styled in the classic kind of pulp uh feel to it it's it's a very it's a very aesthetically pleasing film michael um and there's lots of nightclubs and there's lots of vampires murdering people in nightclubs oh it's, it's good it's good benjamin enjoy that little part. yes is there a scene where megan fox as a vampire sticks her thumbs into someone's eyes to kill someone but they're too stubby and it doesn't work no no. Oh no. I've just thumb shamed Megan Fox, Ben. Take that, Megan Fox. Has she got has she got small thumbs? She's got little funny thumbs, Ben. It's uh it's her famous uh, weakness. Is it is that how you, you catch Megan Fox? You just hold her by her thumb and yeah. she can't escape. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Megan Fox's thumbs are to her what my face is to me. <laughs> just a, a huge weak point. Just a big yeah. weak point, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> You know, oh it humanizes God. her, Ben. It brings her brings her back down to us normal human level. Us normal folks. Um, Michael, one of the things that we're we're dealing with in this is a, a kind of what is now a tried and tested vampire trope, which is that vampires are a, a kind of a sinister cabal that are actually running the show behind the scenes. You know, um, the society above the society, if you want. Oh. And LA is divided between five... Uh, five kind of kingdoms and then you have your five different vampire lords um and so on and so forth but it's very modern michael the vampires are all very modern people they're not you don't you're not getting any nosferatus or count dracula's hiding in the la wings uh, or anything like that you're not getting any underworld style bill nighy's coming up out of a coffin that he's no. been in for a thousand years yeah you're not dealing with any of that michael but what you are dealing with michael is the fact yes. that one of the one of the few places that has resisted vampire influences is the neighborhood of boyle heights michael um and the reason that that is that the Latino community in that area has discovered how to kill vampires, Michael. Ah, oh, they're like, we're not having any of it, S.A. Exactly. And initially we're introduced to uh, Jay, who we think is probably going to be the main character. But it turns out it's his brother, Benny. And his brother, Benny, Michael, uh, needs needs a bit of cash. So he asks right. his big brother, Jay, if he can take his big brother's driving gig for the evening. Right? Uh-oh. Um, and he gets a big fancy car, and then he becomes the Jamie Fox to our collateral style narrative, Michael. What was Tom Cruise's name of that? John Collateral, I think it was. John Collateral, yes. Um, John Collateral, very good. I think it was actually just Collateral, um, but I'm not 100% sure. So, moving on from there, Michael. Ben, Ben. Yes. That was a good bit of lateral thinking there. Uh, <laughs> we podcast professionally. Um, so... <laughs> Oh, no. Do you think we've been found out, Ben? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Probably. Oh, no. People have been on to us for a long time, Michael. I don't think there's any getting away with this anymore. All right, let's just keep trucking that. Yeah. So uh, the vampires have arranged to um, 
assassinate this Jay character because he's a very strong leader and they don't they don't want him around. And so the two lady vampires that end up in the back of the thing thought they were in the back of Jay's. Um, oh, they've been to assassinate the wrong person. But it's bloody Benny because they did an old switcheroo and they didn't realize. So, Michael, one of the the key drives here, and we can we can say it without spoilers, is that Alfie Allen plays a kind of middle management vampire. And, Classic Alfie Allen. Uh, Megan Fox and oh, her name escapes me. Anna de Armas. It's not Anna de Armas, but it's another uh, it girl at the moment. Um, so uh, Megan Fox is one of the the vampire prime. You know, she's kind of an overlord vampire. Yes. And uh, Alfie Allen's had enough, Michael, because there's been a truce between humans and vampires for for nearly a century. And Too vampires long. Are, are only allowed to feed on certain people, um, and it's it's no good. And he wants it out, so he's the Stephen Dorff, I suppose, of the of the whole affair. Does he turn into a big bloody tornado? Uh, he doesn't. There is no bloody tornado with Alfie Allen at the center. Um, but what happens is we get our our two main vampires. We have Blair, and we have oh, it's going to escape me. Sharon, yeah, Blair the vampire and Sharon. Sharon. Uh, Blair and Sharon, and they are familiars of uh, Alfie Allen. Um, they've all kind of turned each other in sequence. So Alfie Allen turned um, Big Scary Vampire Lady and Big Scary Lam- Vampire Lady turned Love Interest Vampire Lady. And what we get is um, those two, and they've been sent to every single vampire stronghold to assassinate the vampire lords and remove their uh, bloodline, Michael. Oh. One of the weaknesses... Michael, yes. of this yes. is mm-hmm. we we cannot discern how vampire power is determined as in is it a matter of seniority are you a stronger vampire because you're a senior vampire are you given a special ability as a vampire none of that is defined and so it's not really made clear why these two lady vampires are so much stronger than older vampire covens or anything like that but they are for the purposes is it of the plot they're, is it because they they're sneaking up on them and they're sexy uh, possibly, but it's never oh, re- it's it's poorly defined. Anyway, Michael, we'll go into full spoilers from here very very quickly. All so, right. Uh, well, actually, maybe we shouldn't because it's only out. We leave it. Ah, screw it, Ben. I'm going to spoil Halloween Kills in a minute, and that's only All right, out for enough. about five minutes. Um, so basically, the heel and the read of the jig is um, love interest vampire has a change of heart midway through the night. Um, Classic. The two. Uh, now this is interesting, Michael. So when I went to see. Suicide Squad with my good lady friend. Yes. One of the things... She turned out to be a vampire. She turned out to be a vampire. One of the most exciting things for her was that Pete Davidson was going to be in Suicide Squad because she she enjoys the comedy of Pete Davidson and Mm. just the overall demeanor and vibe of one Peter Davidson. Mm Mm-hmm. So she thought, oh, cool, I'm I'm going to get to see a cool superhero movie with Pete Davidson in it. And then, of course, Michael, spoilers for uh, Suicide Squad if you haven't seen it, it's Pete Davidson gets his face blown off in the first five minutes of that film. First character to die, Ben. Yes. Now, Megan Fox. Yeah. Pete Davidson. uh, Pete Davidson. That broke my mouth. But we got Davidson by Megan Fox. She's in it for... Two minutes, if even. Oh, that's very um, sneaky, isn't it? That's cunning. Very sneaky. Have, um, they pulled a, have they pulled a Drew Barrymore and Scream on us? Yeah, a little bit. A little bit. Very you're good. you're led to believe that she's going to be a much bigger character and then um, boom. Have it's, they pulled an Emma Roberts in 
um, the the Conservatives are hunting the Liberals or the other way around. Yes, correct. Yes. Uh, uh, what right. was that called? I can't even remember. The Hunt? Was that called The, the hunt? hunt? That was called The Hunt. You're or Hunted? Right. Or... Uh, no, you were you were right. The Hunt. The Hunt. Um, but yes, yeah, so we, we got a little bit of that. So that was, that was mildly irking um, for my good lady friend because she's also a Megan Fox fan. She was like, oh, okay. That's twice now. That's um, twice. That's not great. That's not fair. <laughs> now, overall, Michael, very enjoyable movie. You need to switch your brain off to watch it. It's stylish enough, well-paced enough. The vampire characters are likable enough that this is just a fun Halloween movie. I wouldn't say that it's a great vampire film. Right. In in terms of it being, you know, va- the fact that they're vampires doesn't really matter they're very strong and very powerful and i think they're supposed to be very sinister for that they're very fast and etc etc and and then sunlight really ends up playing a major stuff. role i mean it could just be two gangsters that are sent to assassinate five you know other mob gangsters. heads or something you know but it is a very enjoyable film it's a good little romp michael if you're if you're into vampire films probably not the best one for you if you're into a good time coming up to halloween michael go on give it a, give it a watch I'll tell you what, Ben, speaking of good times coming up to Halloween, I watched the film Halloween Kills. That was a buttery, buttery segue there. Benjamin, I don't know if you know this, but I'm actually named after Michael Myers. Um, I did not know the... this, Michael, and I don't know if I believe that. Good, good. You you keep a hold of that grain of scepticism then. Benjamin, <laughs> I'll tell yes. you what, I liked the last Halloween, serving as it did as a sequel to the original Halloween and going back to the start. This one, Ben, is about Michael Myers. It's set at the, pretty much, it continues directly from the end of the last one, Ben. Oh, and yeah. Laurie Strode, played by Jamie Lee Curtis, has defeated Michael Myers. Or so she thinks, Ben. Or so she thinks. Or so she thinks. Because I've got news for you, Ben. Michael Myers survives. And he's he going to come back to Haddonfield and he's going to kill everyone. But, Ben, the people of the town have had enough. Oh. Oh. And they're going to form a mob, Ben. Oh, and they're yeah. going to use mob justice to bring Michael Myers down. That's interesting. And I tell you what, Ben, that an- ends about as well for everyone as you'd probably imagine. Yeah, God bless them. They probably God they have a bless they have a bit of uh, this is America and we can take him. And then this is America. Could... There's people with guns and there's gangs and there's mobs and Benjamin. I tell you what, I didn't like it. I didn't enjoy it. Oh um, no! It has a very weird tone, Ben. Very, very weird. Um. I don't know how I feel about 70s and 80s horror, Ben, and how they punished what they saw as society's wrongdoers. Um, like a like a biker or a, a gang yeah, like member. A, or, or a gang member, someone having a sex, someone having a marijuana. You know, tut, it was tut, always... Tut. People in horror films who got killed were always, um, in some way, as a moral tongue clicker, deserving of their death. And the yes. pure, innocent, chaste victim usually survived. And Benjamin, Halloween Kills has the most, it's the most weirdly agenda-driven horror film I've ever seen. And mm. um, we're going to go into spoilers here, Ben. But first of all, its main, its main message seems to be, um, its main message seems to be mob mentality is bad. Which, you know, good. That's good agenda. That's, that's good a agenda. Bad agenda. Yeah, okay, that's fair enough. Not Rational the worst thinking. agenda. Yeah, yeah. Don't, 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 don't lure yourself into mob thinking. But Benjamin, um, in that trope, you know, it's a little bit played out. They've been doing that since Frankenstein, Ben. They have. They have. So poor old Frankenstein. 
Let me tell you, Ben, the wrong person gets killed. Oh. Yeah, people accidentally kill each other. You know, all oh. the classics. You know, all the classics, Ben. No use. One of the weirdest things, though, Ben, is the absolute diversity of the people he kills. Oh, that's interesting. That's new. Very interesting, Ben. Okay. <laughs> Very interesting. Is Michael so, Myers a bit of a Gen Z killer? He's like, he's oh, well, I, I won't a... discriminate based on... It seems to be. Um, it seems like the best way to get killed in this is to be diverse, which is in Ooh. itself a ridiculous sentence, obviously. But he kills a bunch of firemen, Ben. Okay. He kills 30 firemen armed with fire axes and massive industrial power cutters and stuff because they attack what? him one at a time. Why would you do that? Because they're idiots, Ben. A lot of this movie, Michael Myers' success as a killer in this movie strongly depends on people being idiots. I think that's most slashers, though, isn't it? I think it is, but this more so than most, to be honest. Okay. Like, you, everyone who he kills in this has done something absolutely ludicrously dumb. But <laughs> he kills Ben. He kills such innocent, lovely, diverse people. Let me tell you, Ben, spoilers. We're going to go into spoilers now for okay. the film Halloween Kills. Um, He kills a team of firefighters. Yes. He kills a friendly interracial elderly couple who've done nothing to hurt anybody. Okay, that's not great. No, it's not great. He kills a modern young black city couple where the husband is a nurse and the woman is a doctor. Again, not you know, great. Very modern, Ben. Yes. Against your expectations, against look your that, personal Look how I subverted you. Oh, you thought the man would be the doctor. Oh, no, no, not no. at all, though. Not at all. He kills, he kills a gay couple. Okay. <laughs> he kills... <laughs> It's it's very diverse, Ben. But it its message is all over the place. The other weird message about it, Ben, is it flashes back to um nineteen seventy eight Haddonfield. And one of the things you can say for it is the flashbacks are shot so well and they're shot so much like a nineteen seventy eight film. I was watching it and Ben, I've seen Halloween innumerable times. And uh, I'm actually named after the main character, Michael Myers. And I was looking at it going, is this from the original film? Was it in it? Was this, they did re- they record this all those years ago just to have a sequel? Just to have a sequel in 2021. But Benjamin, in it, one of the cops stops Dr. Loomis. Dr. Remember Dr. Loomis, Ben? Yes. Played by Donald Pleasance. Yes. One of the cops stops Dr. Loomis from shooting, from executing Michael Myers once they've yes. caught him. And the excuse he gives is, even though he killed all those people, all I could see was some mother's son. And the message seems to be that if the cops had used police brutality, everything would be fine now. But Michael, we just said that mob mentality doesn't work. Yeah, mob mentality doesn't, but police brutality might have been the way to go. It's what? it's very interesting, Ben. It's a very interesting film tonally. I'm not saying it's a good film. And I actually, I don't think it is a good film. Um, It's interesting. It's interesting tonally looking at it going, but what's the message? That that sounds very messy, Michael. Very strange. It upset me, Ben. The the kills in it upset me. Not in a, not in a, oh no, they've killed my favourite character sort of way. But in a, what are you, what are you trying to get at here, writers? What's your, (laughs) what what point are you? What point are you making? And I don't, I don't like it. I don't oh, like having messy. to try and figure out a point. It's very interesting. Anyway, Benjamin, the other big film of the week, 
You've seen the biggest film of the week. I've seen the biggest film, arguably, of the year, Ben. I've seen Denis Villeneuve, your favourite director and mine, Denis Villeneuve's new magnum opus, Ben. June, or as you say, June. And I'll tell you what, Ben. Let me get into spoilers here for you. We're going going straight in. We're going straight into spoilers, because here's the biggest spoiler, Ben. When I bought my ticket for June, Ben, or as you say, June, Okay. Um, on the ticket, it said, show, showing screen 8, seat 16B, film June. June. June, or as you like to say, Ben, June. And I went in and I sat down and I braced myself for the film June. And what appeared on the screen, Ben, was a film by Denis Villeneuve, June, part one. <gasps> and I tell you what, that's not what I paid for. Those fucks. Those absolute bastards. Now, Ben, you could say, as the co-hosts of a pop culture podcast, and Ben, we're not only the hosts of this, we're also the researchers and producers. So it's not like we're just some face. No, we're not, Michael. Like the hosts of PlayStation Plus. It's us. Yeah. For me, for example, my face is my weakness. But anyway, what was I saying? It could be your thumbs. It could be my thumbs. It could be like Megan Fox with weird thumbs. But no, I'm Michael Myers with a weird face. Ben... I think it's just Michael Myers We probably could have figured this out But I didn't figure that out I did not know that And if I had one major flaw about this film Is that it's half a film It's, oh no So are you left with a With a a lack of completion in your life? No, I'm not left with a lack of completion in my life I'm left waiting to see the rest of the film It's not a cliffhanger, Ben This is not a satisfying arc Oh, no. This is like turning a film off halfway through and saying, we'll come back and watch the next bit tomorrow night. Oh, but no. tomorrow night might be 2024. What? Hmm. Oh, because that's not the, good. The part two hasn't even been officially greenlit yet, Ben. Let alone filmed. It ha- it's, not, it's not a Lord of the Rings where they've made them and released them as, as a trilogy. Michael, that He really has chaps. made half a film. That really chaps my buns. It chaps my buns, Ben. It really ground my gears like the sand of the desert planet of Arrakis. That's where. Where does it end? Full spoilers. Where? Where? Where's the? Well, shall we go into where it's going to end? Full spoilers. Yeah, full spoilers. Do use the time codes down below, folks. If you don't want to hear the time spoilers codes are down below, this. if you want to get spoilers for June, and if you've read the book, I mean, you know what's going to happen anyway. Yeah. I, initially when I, when you said that we were reviewing June I was like oh no there'll be spoilers and I was like oh no I've read the book um, you've read the book Ben and Denis Villeneuve is not a, one for major deviations from his source material um, where does it end it ends Ben with um, Jessica and Paul Atreides escaping the Harkonnen attack on on the Atreides house terrible point to end and on going into the desert and meeting the Fremen legitimately shite point to end on it, it it ends with the introduction of Zendaya's character of Chani or Shani that's, that's absolute bollocks Michael the amount it's of right marketing the she's been used in it's just in the middle she's she's mostly in it in perfume ads every time he closes yeah, his eyes it's like dream. Zendaya's yeah. new fragrance sand by Zendaya it's um Spice. very strange now okay that's my major complaint out of the way it's half a film okay. and I think that's Fucking unforgivable, to be honest with you, because we weren't sold half a film. We were sold a full film, and it's half a film. But aside from that, very good. Oh, excellent. 
Um, it's world building. It's Denis Villeneuve's strength at its best. It's Blade Runner twenty forty nine mm. taken up ten notches. It's okay. Like the the visuals, Ben, the design, the the world crafting is not Now, I mean, most of that was done by Frank Herbert. Yes. Or Frank Sherbert, as you call him. <laughs> I, I but, don't call him that. No, you don't call him that, no. Um, no. He's not a delicious sugary dip. Benjamin. I like it's, a Sherbert. Yeah, it's lovely, orange Sherbert. Ben, it's delicious. It's delicious to look at. It's delicious to look at and it's delicious to find yourself engrossed in. Okay. It is half a film, though, goddammit. Goddammit. Um, there are changes from the book. Okay. <gasps> which we might get into at a later date when we're having a deeper dive on June and, and its and its influence on popular culture. Because that's um, coming, but they're, they're Yeah, it's coming. It's coming down the pipe, Ben. Like a big hot poo. And um, But this film isn't a big hot poo. It's a good film. It's a good... Okay. It's a, it's a very good half a film. My dad, Ben, when we watched films as a kid, he used to fall asleep in the middle of films and then sometimes he'd come back and watch the second part the next night. Oh yeah, it's that. It's that as a cinematic experience. Um, it's very good. The casting's good. the The only casting that I felt was a little bit off was um, Jason Momoa. Oh yeah, he's um, who is he again? He, he's uh, Duncan Idaho. Oh, Duncan he? Idaho. Yes, he is. Yeah, he is. No, he yeah. isn't. Is he? He's yes, Duncan he Idaho. Is. He, is. he is. Yeah, he is Duncan Idaho. He feels like he's in the wrong film. He's just, Why? What's he? At? He's just. He's just playing. He's just playing. What's it, What's the name of the character he always Aquaman. plays? He's, no, what's the name of the character he always plays? Jason um, Momoa. Jason Momoa, that's it. <laughs> it's just like, you've got all of these people and they're acting in stylized or restrained ways and, you know, it's the far future and there's spice and all that stuff. And then Jason Momoa's also there. He's the actor like, yeah. Jason Momoa. Yeah, the actor spice. Jason Momoa. Have you got some muscles, boy? Mm, look at me. Have you ever seen me throw an X? Um, but other than that, it's, it's quite good. It's 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 June. It's it's very much what I expected. Well, that's it's good. The film June through the filter of Denis Villeneuve, which is good. It's a good thing. It's I would argue p- possibly a little bit too frenetically cut. Like things okay. are happening very fast, okay. um, but I think they have to for the amount of world building he's trying to put in, and the amount of detail he's trying to put in, and the length of a five-hour film. But, you know, it's strong. It's a strong showing. It's a strong showing if you can forgive the fact that it's half half a film. Does uh, Sting make an appearance? He does not. Ah, oh, what a waste. Lots of, lots of characters make appearances, Ben, and then, you know, don't even get anything close to a resolution. Well, it's only half a movie, Michael, as you said. Exactly, Ben. And it's not even half a movie like the Lord of the Rings trilogy, which were three books originally, and so they have kind of natural ebbs and flow. Yeah. It's just chop it in the middle. Chop it in the middle, and we'll make another film. And I I don't know necessarily if the next film will be as good, because I'm not sure that the, the Fremen part of... Well, I don't know. Maybe that's just I, my personal I think taste. It's, well, I think the Fremen part is actually the weaker part of it. I think the really interesting part is House Atreides yeah, trying the to land make it. Yeah, but I, I think that's interesting. I, I think the that's... The Sardaukar. The weird, like, the bizarre kind of Shakespearean court ethics of... <laughs> Of mm. the space of the far future. empire, yeah, it's uh, mm. that mm. is interesting. And then the Fremen are weird sometimes. The whole honor system and stuff. I'm just like, meh. 
they're just desert fellas. Just a bunch I'll tell of you desert what, ben, lads. Maybe yeah. we could get revenge on Denis Villeneuve for tricking us by giving us half a film by getting someone to put some sort of curse on him. Can you think of anyone who might be available to do that? Uh, at a push, Michael. Um, I suppose we could go and... and uh, we, well, we, we have two options, Michael. We could go and make a deal with the devil. All right. Seems and a bit direct. He'll give us a little mark. And then we'll be able to do it ourselves. Yeah. Or... Yeah. Or mm. we can fight in a huge Scottish-English land war and wander around a moor until all of a sudden we see three women in the mist who are inexplicably rhyming for some reason and then they will tell us that we will be the greatest podcasters ever but could be ben. undone by no one's son. That'd be interesting. Are you doing a Macbeth? Are you doing a, Mac- I did a Macbeth? Are you, bringing, are you bringing Macbeth into this podcast? How very dare you? I did a Macbeth. A curse uh, on you, Ben. A curse upon your house. Very good. Uh, Michael, it would be a witch. We'd probably have to get ourselves a witch. Very clever. That was probably unnecessarily long segue, but I think we've done it. I liked it. I'm, I'm, I'm sticking by it. I'm, <laughs> I'm here for it. Uh, Michael, this week on our, yes. our final Spooktober special, we decided that we'd dig around Michael because in in recent media we've seen a kind of a resurgence of the witch but in a much more positive light Michael oh they're not all bad so I I thought we'd take a little look at at how that character or how that trope has has evolved over time Michael how we've been left with a a powerful independent witch who don't need no man Mm. so to speak a modern sexy witch a modern sexy witch Michael a modern sexy witch. So I thought we'd take a look at that, Michael. Um, and to do that, I've been researching, Michael. I've been digging oh, around. Heck. I've been oh, digging around. Um, so the the concept of, of witches, Michael, and hunting them down, it feels like that's been going on forever. Mm. feels like that's been going on forever. But we can actually trace that back to around the 13th century when witchcraft became a, a big old thing, Michael. Um, and the reason that it became a big old thing is because of one particular German... Uh, theologian Hans Christian Andersen the son of a bitch Christian Andersen um, and he created the the oh it's it has a bunch of different names but you could call it the Witchfinder manual it, mm, I, the hammer of the witches I'm very bad at, at um, German pronunciations and things like that um, and in this text, Michael, he outlines how to find a witch, um, what marks a witch out, what to do when you find a witch, how to test the witch, and then when you've found your witch, what do you even do with them? How do you get rid of them? What? Throw in the throw in the river. Now, Michael, one of my favorite things about this is it's kind of always cited as a, a huge religious text, mm. you know, and it was an important part of the 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 Catholic kind of, or sorry, the Christian kind of thoughts at the time but it wasn't when it was originally written michael even the pope was like nah that shit's mental um benjamin I'm not signing off on that yeah benjamin i don't think you've i don't i i feel that you can't continue this conversation without saying malleus maleficarum <laughs> i think yeah that's fair that's, it's, it it's would not. be a great injustice done to podcasting <laughs> if we didn't mention that the malleus maleficarum by henrik kramer would you would you like a peek behind the curtain michael Gig one. I, I uh, my my notes are smudged and I can't read it. <laughs> it's it's written down here on a piece of paper. <laughs> I can't read it. It's the Malibus Maleficarum uh, by Heinrich oh, Kramer, and Heinrich Kramer enough. was a big old dickbag, Michael. 
Oh, he doesn't sound like the best of bloke, to be honest. Um, he was, he was a, he was to quote Andy Donna, a classic sodge. Oh, okay, we can't take that word. We can't steal it from it's them. Too bad. I'm taking it now. He's a, he's a bloody witchy sodge. Um, so he kind of created the system. And Michael, initially, um, yes, people were like, "This is a load of bullshit. This is mental." Um, like nobody's going to take this on board. And then, unfortunately, he somehow, and we're not really sure how he did this, got the ear of the Pope. Um, and he was like, oh, come here to me, come here to me. And what was, was the Pope Ben the Pope? Ah, oh, fuck my ear. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fine. It's a legitimate text. It's a legitimate text. Ow, let me go. Um, Give my ear back. So as as we've covered before on this podcast, Michael, um, if you want to take down Megan Fox, it's her thumbs. If you want to take down you, it's your face. And if you want to take down yeah. Pope, get him by the ear. Get him by the ear. Benjamin, he didn't say, oh, shit, my ear. He said, oh, shit, my ear. <laughs> <laughs> That's how the Pope talks. That's how he talks all the time. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. um, Heinrich Kramer managed to push his his bizarre anti-woman rhetoric onto the world. Yeah, to, just today, Ben, he'd just have a podcast. Today, he'd just have a podcast, Michael. Um, or be a guest on the Joe Rogan Experience. <laughs> yeah. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to episode 329 of Malaeus Maleficarum. <laughs> this week, we're having a look at Megan Fox's thumbs. How how we know Megan Fox is a witch? Look at those thumbs. Um, mm. So yeah, he kind of creates this text, and this kicks off the whole wave of witch burning and witch hunting and everything that we do. And unfortunately, Michael, as you might have guessed, there weren't any witches. There's no such thing. There weren't any, Michael. But what happened was this became a great kind of social punishment tool for women that got uh, a bit uppity in the eyes of a Uppity women. Mm. Um, so what happened was, uh, anytime you had a woman that kind of collected a bit too much power, um, old Heinrich would go, oh, oh I reckon, oh, I reckon she's a witch. <laughs> I reckon she's a witch. Um, and then, you know, this would happen repeatedly. And then people start going, didn't she turn you down for a date last week, Heinrich? And he's like, no. No. No, I wouldn't date a witch. What are you talking about? Have a look in this book. Have a look in this Maleficarum. Is that your name on the cover there, Heinrich? Is that your name on the cover there, Heinrich? No, don't look at that. Just just look, there it is. Um, So Heinrich was just a big old misogynist, Michael, and he, uh, him and men like him used it as a a social punishment tool. Ben. uh, For women, yeah. Ben, and women like him. And women like him. Uh, Yeah, I suppose that's that's absolutely fair, Michael, to be be equal. Um, Because there were... Uh, it was quite often used so there are two major uses of it and it's quite interesting midwives Michael were often burned as witches mm. um, midwives held a ludicrous amount of power within medieval society because they knew how to deliver children um, kind of and that kind of but better than you know Heinrich. come here give me this <laughs> pulling it out of someone um, they had a little bit more knowledge and it gave them huge social standing and that didn't really suit a lot of bloody lords and ladies because they were like oh mm. that threatens my position which um and then another one that was very very common michael is is um the old the old prostitutes michael they were often burned as witches because a lot of noble ladies were like mm. oh god i wish my husband wasn't sleeping around oh yeah she's too sexy burn her burn her <laughs> she's too sexy um that's why megan fox couldn't have been a witch back in the day <laughs> that's what happened um, to my face ben Exactly, exactly. <laughs> he's too handsome. Burn him. Yeah, um, he's too sexy. So that initial kind of hatred of women and identifying of witches and things like that, that became 
the defining cultural narrative for witches for centuries. Um, there were a couple of ways to spot a witch, Michael. Um, they would have the devil's mark on them. Mm-hmm. Um, the devil's mark now, Michael, was a very useful thing because it could be anything. The devil's mark wasn't defined. It was just the mark of the devil. So oh, basically, yeah. anytime you had a woman and you could give her a choice. You could say, come here to me. You can either take your clothes off in front of this entire court here. And in medieval courts, there'd be a couple of hundred people there observing the proceedings. And like, you can either, you know, take off your clothes there. If you don't, if you don't, you're a bloody witch. Mm. You're denying. And said, but if you do take your clothes off and I find any kind of mark that I deem to be the devil's mark, I've got you. Now, Michael, a lot of these people would be peasants and farmers. And they'd have very yeah. tough lives, Michael. So there'd be plenty yeah. of scratches on their body where you oh, go, that could be oh, the devil's mark. Yeah, yeah, that could be the devil's mark. A lot of uh, them would have never seen a nipple before, Ben. Two devil's marks. Two devil's marks. That's a double devil's mark. Um, and so uh, there were different ways to do it. Basically, they communed with the devil on the Sabbath. Uh, so if you saw women going about their business on the Sabbath, oh, they're probably running off to chat to the devil. Shame, shame, shame. Oh, yeah. um, ben. Hold yeah. on a second. I've got to cut across you because how how true is this? On, how man. many people how many people were genuinely burned as witches in the Middle Ages and how much of this is apocrypha? Uh oh there's quite a few, Michael. Um Are there really though? Uh well I'm, Is this sure... factually attested or is this just back in the terrible old days everything was awful? Um the mal- the whole Heinrich Kramer. Malaeus is, Maleficarum. Uh, that's all attested. Um, yes. But were, in reality, though, in reality, in in reality, were were people genuinely going around towns burning witches, or were you as likely to be actually burned as a witch as you were to be killed by a vampire? Uh, oh, that's a tough question, Michael. And I don't like, really are the these esti- the estimated it, number. Go on, I, I can give you the estimated number. Go on. Genuinely, between 1560 and 1630, right? Right. The estimated number um, yeah. over uh, Europe and the... Sorry, that's I've given you the wrong range there. That was the Malefic- Maleficarum. The, the estimated range uh, spanning Europe and the United States for the last 500, 600 years or so... Yeah is 40,000 to 50,000 people burned, accused of witchcraft. Burned really? or killed. Um, mm. Yeah, 40,000. And that doesn't include Africa? Uh, no, it doesn't. Mm. Um, it doesn't. Um, and that's... On, all that's, women? Uh, no, not all women. Um, not all women. Those accused of witchcraft. Mm. Executed for if the a man purposes gets of accu- witchcraft. If a man gets accused of witchcraft, is it called warlockcraft or is it still called witchcraft? Um, I think it's a I think it's a gender neutral term these days, Michael. I think you can just oh, say oh, witch. Good. I think. Oh, how, how progressive! Uh, how progressive! Yes. So anyway, Michael, this informed opinions of witches for ages, and that's how they became the kind of evil things that we came. But in a more modern sense, um, we've talked about it on this podcast before. Um, in terms of media representation of witches, the one that shaped it a lot was uh, Frank L. Baum and the Wizard of Oz. Oh, she's green and she's got a big pointy nose and a hat. So the green witch is directly from Frank L. Baum's um, creation. So that's literally because um, when The Wizard of Oz came out with Judy Garner. um, Who, sorry? I I got that wrong. Hang on. What's her name? (laughs) Judy Garland. 
Judy Garland, thank you. I said yeah. Garner. Uh, Judy Garland. <laughs> when it came out with Judy Garland, Jennifer it was, Garner. It was one of the first films to use color, and so to pep things up, they were like throwing color on things, and they're like, "Let's just make the witch green." Let's oh. just do that. That'd be cool. Um, so that was a purely like scene choice, and it went that way. But that interpretation of the evil witch and the kind of crone thing <laughs> yeah that whole fly thing. my prettiest fly <laughs> that became the defining cultural narrative from the 30s onwards and um, right up until the 60s and um, and that was helped um in large part thanks to walt disney um, oh good old walter and disney snow white's witch the the haggard crone and the apple and all that that's another kind of famous depiction of a witch and those two kind of fuse together to inform the cultural narrative for a very long time um children's books illustrations etc cetera, etc cetera, were informed by that and and that kind of drove the narrative so, so for yeah your classic witch of a of a long-nosed warty owl one yeah exactly a, a big... long-nosed warty owl one with stringy hair and a big pointy hat yeah so that was that's that all was Disney's fault. You said witch, and that's what people thought of, and that was Disney and, mm. and Wizard of Oz, and that's pretty much how that worked. Now that starts to shift a little bit as we move into the sixties, Michael. Um, we get we get two very interesting things that emerge in the sixties. Number one is the woman scorned or witch scorned, I suppose, if you want trope. Um, and that could feed into what we've talked about before, Michael. We talked a couple of weeks ago about good for her, the trope of kind of female revenge her. in film. Good for her uh, in film. These films were depictions of female revenge, but very much painted in the light that, Jesus, those women are mental, aren't they? Yeah, watch out for those women. Don't uh, don't piss them off. They do magic on you. So uh, this uh, these 60s narratives of evil women returning um, and exacting revenge for perceived scorns is quite often the narrative. So, mm. you know, it's not necessarily that the man did anything wrong. It's that the woman perceived it to be wrong and oh, oh. she's getting revenge. So it's unjustified revenge. So again, we've got a bit of misogyny going on there, Michael. Uh, women I mean, always taking that's... things too seriously. Isn't that... <laughs> Classic women. Isn't that, um, isn't that the plot of Drag Me to Hell? Yes. Yes, it is. But in that, the woman is scorned by another woman. Yeah, so it's that slight of kind of overzealous revenge, if you want, Michael. Um, Classic like, women. You, you didn't give me 50 cents. <laughs> how, how dare you cursed forever? How very dare you? Classic uh, women always overreacting to things and putting curses on people. So yeah, it, it, it ties into the hysteria, um, the women in hysteria Victorian trope as well. Um, so there's a lot of interesting things going on there. But um, in these films they would quite often um, depict the woman as evil, uh, very satanic. Um, but also, the second thing that emerges in that time is a recognition of the misogyny of the Catholic Church and um, how they ruled over women using um, witchcraft as kind of a branding tool. Um, so one of the most famous examples of that is a film called The Devils, Michael, and it starred Oliver Reed in the 1960s. Oh, Vanessa Oliver Reed. Reed. Uh, good old Ollie Reed and Vanessa Redgrave back in the 60s there. And that's basically all about how priests are a bunch of a-holes. Um, even in the 60s. Even in the 60s. Now, this was a very controversial kind of new wave cinema 60s depiction. It was so demonizing of the Catholic Church, Michael, that the Italian government at the time said that if 
Oliver Reed or Vanessa Redgrave set foot on Italian soil, they would be arrested for a minimum period of three years for their participation in the film. Um, So those two narratives emerge, and then there's one tiny little dark horse that emerges there as well, Michael, and that's Bewitched. Um, The the TV show Bewitched about the good witches. The TV show Bewitched, and that appears out of almost nowhere, Michael. It's a spontaneous manifestation. Like magic. What if a witch wasn't a prick? Um, and and that becomes the the narrative. So this continues into the seventies, Michael, and occultism begins to bleed into uh, witchcraft heavily again, and the the satanic influence. And it's not necessarily a witch who has powers for no reason. It's a witch who has powers uh, through commune with dark forces or the devil or something like that. Um, and that gave us films like Suspiria, uh, the Argento Giallo film Suspiria, which was remade on Amazon, I think. Not so long ago. Um, hmm. But Suspiria is kind of a classic kind of uh, 70s horror film. And it's got a lot of strong visuals and acid and stuff like that. So this kind of brings a resurgence of, Jesus, witches are evil, aren't they? They're always out Get for away. revenge. They're always trying. away from me. Yeah. And uh, it really belittles female rage. It uh, undermines female agency. Um, and it also defines the devil as kind of the overarching... Um, patriarchal power behind a witch. So that's really Ah, it was the patriarchy all along, Ben. Um, It was the patriarchy all along, Michael. But that's a really interesting thing. A lot of these films have the devil, a male figure, providing the power. So it's not that a woman could get power on her own. She needs male um, kind of sponsorship to to do that. In the film uh, Bedazzled, the devil is a lady. The devil is a lady, Michael, um, but she's not a witch, so she's not relevant to this discussion. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. That's true. So, obviously, Michael, the, the big shift here happens in the 1980s. Go on. Where all of a sudden, we kind of investigate those misogynistic, sexist tropes of the 1970s, and we say, well, what if a witch just used witchcraft for a bit of power, for a bit of agency, for a bit of independence? What if she wasn't an outright prick, and she was just a practitioner mm. who, who used it? So this this brings about the emergence of kind of the the Wiccan witch, the, the good witch, um, the witch who uses her power, not necessarily for bad things, um, but for good things as well. And... It, that's where this narrative kind of comes from. But the defining film, I think, mm. for the the rebranding of the witch from absolute villain, outright morally bankrupt creature to women using power and women just trying to survive in a in a male dominated conservative society is the witches of Eastwick. The witches mm. of um here comes um who's in that? It's Cher. Michelle, Cher, yeah. <laughs> Michelle Pfeiffer and yeah. Susan Sarandon. Ah, not Goldie Hawn, yes. Uh, not Goldie Hawn. Susan, oh, was it Goldie Hawn? No, I think it was Michelle Pfeiffer. No, no it, it was Michelle Pfeiffer. Is, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, this this is an interesting film, Michael. Jack Nicholson plays the devil in it, or a devil-like figure called Daryl Van Horn. Because <laughs> um, he has the horn, precisely. Um and he he plays it in a kind of traditional Jack Nicholson fashion. Um, I can't do a Jack Nicholson impression off the top of my head, but I would if I could. Um, so I'm going to do a bad one anyway. But he All basically right. okay. r- rocks into this conservative Christian American town. And he's like, well, I'm the devil and I have lots of things to say. Things like this. So 
Why is Alan go- Rickman there? He goes around and he's tempting people. Is Alan Rickman there? Did I go into Alan? No, I just I thought uh, no, it's just I was just undermining you, Ben. It wasn't really a good point. Ah, classic. I'm going to put a hex on you later on, Michael. Oh no! A co-host scorned. Um, oh no! So, so um, in this film, Michael uh, Daryl Van Horn convinces these three women who don't know each other to join into a polyamorous relationship with him. Ooh, ah, oh, um, classic John Nicholson. And uh, old old Jackie Boy is is living it up in this film, Michael. He's having the best time. He's just like, I I get to play the devil. It's amazing. Da, 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 da. But anyway, these three women live in his home, his beautiful mansion, um, in this conservative Christian town. And over time, they realize that they're gaining powers, Michael. No. Um, as a result of their commune with the devil. That's that's what it is. Now, instead of the women turning evil and becoming spiteful, et cetera, et cetera. What happens is they eventually band together in kind of a bond of sisterhood. And they decide to get rid of Daryl Van Horn. So they use their witchcraft against the devil and they kind of free themselves from this thing. So this is a symbolically a very powerful moment where the devil is removed from witchcraft in this film. And it's the first time in a major mainstream narrative that that happened. Mm. Um, and it's a really interesting moment. So the Witches of Eastwick is a real watershed moment for witches. Um, and the other thing that it does is it cements the obsession with the number three for witches. Now, that's always been a thing. Uh, yeah. We had Hecate Macbeth. way back in Greek mythology. She had three faces. Um, mm. We had the, the three sisters of fate. We had the three witches from Macbeth. The Witches of Eastwick. Yeah. So the Witches of Eastwick. Um, the Hallowell but- sisters. That becomes so exactly that becomes kind of a a thing for a lot of media corporations. Then they're like, oh, okay, well, that's done very well. People like witches now, so let's bloody see that. So, in terms of being released in '87, is when Witches of Eastwick was released. So, it's um, it's a very um, very recent, I suppose, film if you wanted to look at it in a in a modern context of cinema or media. Um, but one of the key scenes is where Daryl Van Horn is being voodoo doll pricked by all these uh, by the three women and he goes down to a church and he goes on a huge rant about how women are the plight of men um if they weren't around and he does the whole can't live with them can't live without them spiel um, i've heard you saying that yeah no i haven't said that michael how dare you i am no <laughs> daryl van horn um so he goes down and he does that and as a direct culmination to that speech, he kind of gets speared by the women and tortured. And it's a direct rebuke of that traditional narrative of women as, Don't trust as women. evil and, and witches as, you know, uh, the plight of men and stuff like that. And it, it it flies in the face of all those 60s and 70s misogynistic narratives about petty female revenge and things like that. So it's a really interesting watershed moment. And then we get the 90s. And the 90s just wholesale sanitizes witches um, and there are two key figures that do that Sabrina the teenage witch becomes yeah. a show on Nickelodeon and mm-hmm. the tamest form of witchcraft you ever did see she's just a man she just can do whatever she wants she's she just, just a capricious she god um, it, she is a capricious god that's precise. they all are though all of them yeah every um, single last one of them every single last one just a bunch of capricious gods Um mm-hmm. And it's never explained why they can't interact with mortals. It's never explained. It's just like no, we can't, we can't just, do that. just summoning Britney Spears into her bedroom. Yeah, it's mental. That's kidnapping. 
that's kidnapping. That's not cool. It's magical not kidnapping. Cool. Um, yeah. So, uh, and the other one that comes up there is Charmed. Um, so we get two very distinct um, forms. I of feel you've skipped. Uh, I, I think you can't, you can't ignore Willow from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh, I've skipped Willow. Sorry, I have. I have indeed yeah, yeah, skipped Willow. Yeah, so th- there are there are three very distinct uh, types of witchcraft. There. There's the Wiccan witchcraft that we talked about that was introduced in the 1980s. Um, mm-hmm. There's a bloody sexy, powerful lady witches in Charmed. Um, yeah. And then there's tame, fun, accessible to teenager witches in Sabrina. And that kind of sanitizes the whole thing. Um, and I suppose to a large degree... Um, Witches lose a bit of their box office magic. Then the the last big witch film of the nineties is probably The Craft, um, mm. and The Craft is about a bunch of teenage witches who practice witchcraft and turn on each other over time in their coven and you know that kind of thing. But after that point, Michael, witches have their reputation quite damaged. Um, in terms of quite well, it comes well in terms of witches aren't all bad. But they they lose very much like we said about werewolves. They lose their teeth a little bit in terms. Yeah, of Yeah, that's what a I was going to say, Ben. That's what I was going to say because you've been saying this whole time. It women reclaiming the power of witches, and but should they though? Witches are just monsters. Why? Why is it a good thing for the whole concept of the witch to be reclaimed as a hero? It's it's as boring to my mind as um, werewolves being the goodies. Yeah, I, I mean, there's there's a large argument to be made for that. I think very much in terms of a cultural history, mm. witchcraft has been used as a very misogynistic tool against women. So mm. I think from a why do it point of view, it makes a lot of sense maybe to recognize the senseless loss of life born out of wanting to put women in their place. Mm. So I think to define witches as monsters consistently is reductive in one sense. And maybe, and this is very, very loose, but maybe gives credence to the notion of burning witches in the past because they were monsters. Do you understand? So no, uh, what I mean is, I mean, but isn't it the same as, Essentially, the the witch is the a witch is a coalescing of the fear of a of a a woman who has knowledge in the same way that a vampire is a fear of a, a suave foreign man arriving in town, mm. and a, a werewolf is a fear of um, wild bestiality. I mean, they're all just. Pro- I, I I don't know enough about the history of it, but I don't think. That you can just flat out say that the films of the 60s to the 80s were misogynistic. Okay. Because they had witches in them. Uh, Any more than you can say that the films of, um, the vampire films of the early 20s were racist because they had, the, the vampires were always Eastern European. Um... I don't know if I agree with you there, Michael. Um, Good. Go on, I, defend your position, I, you son of a bitch. I, I believe... I think harmful narratives can be crafted in in media. I, I, I truly believe that, you know, in the same way that representation matters, misrepresentation has serious consequences. Um, you know, I think 
the the xenophobic narratives of things like Dracula or mm. the early films of Bela Lugosi and things like that, th- those were possibly harmful to immigrants at the time. Now, I can't say that. I don't have those figures on hand. Do you think, Ben, in 100 years, will will the four generations from now will be looking back on our generation and thinking it was disgusting the way they portrayed the mentally ill as serial killers in all of their serial killer horror movies? I, I think that's... Think people, mm, mm. Do you think people will be saying Michael Myers was a dreadful misrepresentation of a, a mentally ill boy? Yes, I think they probably will. Do you think people will look back and say Freddy Krueger to to demonize the pedophile Freddy Krueger rather than having him seek help? Oh, was... you you pulled the pedophile on the internet, are you? No, no. Well, Freddy Krueger was only a pedophile in the 2012 version, which I didn't like anyway. He was just a yeah. commoner garden child murderer in the first one. But <laughs> Your even classic. then, yeah, I mean, in a more in a more enlightened society, people will look back and say Freddy Krueger was an awful representation of what happens if someone who has child murdering instincts doesn't isn't handled well by society. Mm. So, I mean, yeah, it's, it's it's easy to say the concept of the witch is a a misogynistic male men holding back women point of view from our modern enlightened times, but we're not probably as enlightened as we think we are because at the same time what is the dominant thing in pop culture at the moment it's serial killers yes and it's like any anyone at the moment is listening to serial killer pop podcasts and watching serial killer tv shows the amount of csis and stuff we have on yeah. that are kind of essentially hero worshipping look at say what you've described about witches in the last half hour there it's starting to happen with serial killers yeah like Hannibal Lecter was one of the first relatable serial killers then we had Dexter who was a serial killer who only killed other serial killers Mm. and practically every TV show now in that genre has a former killer or serial killer who's not necessarily a goodie but sometimes teams up with them because there's something worse Mm. you know it's a i think it'll be interesting to look back in 100 years and see what our monsters of now in what way our current monsters are not looked upon kindly by the future generations Mm. but that's nothing to do with witches anyway um yeah sorry (laughs) just to finish up the point i suppose um do do we have time? We don't really. Yeah, 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 we're, yeah. We're miles my over, little waffle but... about my little waffle about mental health is irrelevant. Oh no, no, it's not. Mental health is very relevant, Michael. We're here a pro oh, mental oh, health God. podcast. Um, yeah. Anyway, Michael Myers though, um, <laughs> or pro Michael Myers. I'm not sure. That sanitizing of witches that we saw in the 90s, where they become very palatable and not as threatening, um, carries right through the 2000s. And what we get is like a. I suppose a schlockfest of poorly written feminist narratives around witches and things like that. Um, right, go the on. Cra- the craft spawns about three sequels, I think. Um, all useless. All useless. Then we get something called the Covenant, which is the craft for boys, where it's a bunch of warlocks, and mm-hmm. they're 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 making they're making madness all over the place. And no, thank we, you. Yeah, um, and it's it's you know we get that, but then. Finally, as as I was reminded by my my good lady friend Michael, who is um, yes. a big fan of witches and very um, well read in modern representations of witches. 
She pointed out that in the 2010s, there's been a real pushback to that super threatening um, witch. And we're finding a balance again in that, as as you were pointing out, they're not all good at all. Um, witches mm. become monsters or representations of that kind of thing. Um, so one of the ones that she cited to me was American Horror Story, Coven. Yes, American Horror Story Coven, which I rewatched large parts of for this episode, and now we have completely not talked about. I'm so sorry. <laughs> delighted, uh, do you want to spin your wheels there? Parts. No, no, no. It's good. It's interesting. It's it has it has every type of witch you could imagine. It has just the proper, just evil baddie witch, but it also has witches as metaphors for women coming of age. It has witches as metaphors for lesbianism. It has witches as metaphors for women's solidarity and. Mm. Also, you know, lots of horrible stuff like a man having a bull's head sewn onto him. It's not great. Um, no. So uh, one of the things that we saw like really move forward was Sabrina. So Sabrina got rebranded in the 2010s, Michael. And then we have the mm. chilling adventures of Sabrina. Lots of devils. Yeah, devils everywhere. Devils everywhere. Much less everyone's a capricious god in that. Uh, yeah, some people are very capricious gods and other people are just weak. Um, it seems to be the narrative well, of that one. I mean, but the power level of the characters in The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina are, in general, way lower. Yeah. Sabrina Sabrina Spellman in the 90s sitcom was capable of universe-level, universe-changing levels of magic with the twirl of a finger accidentally. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Mm. Um, mm. Not great. But then uh, the one that probably sparked this topic for us, Michael, was looking at the Fear Street series. Um, mm. And that pays homage to witches at every step of the American historical um, thing and, and kind of investigates all of these tropes and then uh, comes up with Sarah Fear, who is not a witch at all, but um, just someone who was very hard done by historically. She's a classic lady lesbian. Classic lady lesbian. So that's... That's really all our thoughts on witches, Michael. You have anything to add there? Bayonetta. Bayonetta's also a witch. Bayonetta is also a witch. You just wanted to throw that in there. Um, her no. cat suit is made of her own hair. Her own hair, yeah. And it comes yeah. off and gets you. That's real weird. Real weird. And then she gives you a sexy spank on the bottom. Um, oh, lowering the tone as usual, Michael. Ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> what, I didn't just lower the tone now. Earlier on, did. I said there was hot news coming down the poop chute at us. <laughs> That's true. A steaming hot chunk of news. Um, yeah. So, ladies and gentlemen, what do you think of representation yeah. of witches in the L media? Uh, what films would you cite as examples of great evil witches and great good witches? Um, what what kind of things would you have? Blair Witch there's, Project. There's a bunch of ways you can get in touch with us, ladies and gentlemen. The film The Witch. You can find us uh, online at www.shomrabeog.com, uh, S-E-O-M-R-A-B-E-A-G.com. It means tiny room in Irish. You can find us on Instagram at Podcast. Means sure looks sure listen in English. It does indeed. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at ListenSure. Nothing to say about that. Nothing to say about that one. But ladies and gentlemen, the best way to get in touch with your two favorite co-hosts on a middling to okay podcast is <laughs> get up on that Discord, baby. Hop up on it. Get up there. Get up on it. Yeah. Um, Ladies and gentlemen, you can join us again next week where we'll be taking a look at No More Role Models, the strange fetishization of uh, American Psycho and the obsession with serial killers in um, pop culture, which is a oh, yeah. really interesting thing. You've made a really buttery smooth segue into next week's topic. Accidentally. Um, yeah, accidentally. Shit. Mick came up with this topic. There seems to be a strange uh, resurgence in the love of Patrick Bateman. 
Um, so we'll be mm. taking a look at that phenomenon and why it might be coming. Uh, in. So join us then, ladies and gentlemen. That's it from us this week. Have a wonderful Halloween. <laughs> It's a witch laugh.